recording. Okay, welcome back to the Modern Man Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Hilkathuria. Today we have a super exciting episode. I've got two of my good friends here. Both are super, super awesome people. And I got to know them through the gym. Both these dudes are absolute crushers when it comes to lifting weights, being disciplined, getting after it. They know their shit. They've been through a lot. They've got their systems down. And today I really want to explore, okay, how did they get to this point in their journey of lifting weights in the gym? What kind of injuries did they sustain? And how, how did they become the person they are today? So, Devin, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm Devin Shepard. I am from Norm, Massachusetts, and I'm currently a junior at SMU. And Anthony. I'm Anthony. I'm 23 years old and senior. Um, probably been training seriously uh, probably three years now. Probably started seriously training 2020 when, when COVID hit was when I actually was like, okay, I'm actually, <laughs> actually training now. And uh, yeah, that's about it for that. Cool. Hey, Devin, when did you start training? So I, the first time I really started going to the gym was uh, 2014, so near about nine years ago. But it was always on and off through injuries, and I'd say it really picked up uh, in 2018 when I went to my boarding school where it was just constant sports, where I had to do a sport every season. So it's just constant training through either – soccer skiing and then baseball um and then i just really picked it up even further when i went came here as a college student where i wasn't doing a sport but it just gave more opportunity to go to the gym on my own time so i would say really from 2018 was when it really started just pick it up for me so you mentioned that you've been lifting for nine years Mm -hmm. but you've dealt with a lot of injuries yeah can you just like talk about you know what What injuries did you deal with, and how did that affect your lifting journey? Yeah, so the first bad injury I had was I snapped my right femur clean when I was skiing um, in 2014. So it was middle of February. I was in Maine for a ski race at Shawnee Peak. Terrible mountain. Don't ever go there. (laughs) And it was after a race. I didn't do too hot. Um, I decided to do a couple of free runs just to try to boost my spirits. And just before we head in for lunch, my coach was like, here, let's do one more free run. The last run of the day. Let's do one more run before we go in for lunch. Really get us tuned in for the second run later in the afternoon. So we're skiing down this trail. I'm, I'm... I was just so I didn't do too well in the first run so I was just trying to be super aggressive with this free run and then I came around this one turn where the fall line keeps going to the trees but you need to take a right and I was taking a left footed turn where my ski caught a ice caught an edge in some ice in the middle of the trail which then flipped me over I was going maybe like 25 maybe 30 miles an hour on my back I flew off the trail, and when I flew off the trail, my right leg hit one of those metal snowmaking pipes resting on the side. And thankfully, my head missed it, because if my head hit that, I probably would have snapped my neck, and I probably would have died. But instead missed and hit my right leg, fell down a hill further, and it was my my femur snapped completely clean. When they showed me the x-ray, it was just almost like a, a perpendicular angle from my 
top bone connect to my hip joint to my knee was it poking out of your leg it, at all it, it thankfully it didn't breach my skin but i could feel the point of the edge oh. of the bone and the main reason it didn't pop out was i had a ski suit on okay. in which those are tight wow. so it kind of keeps everything tight if i wasn't wearing that yeah. it probably would have punctured out of my oh. punctured out of my leg oh my so, god so so that was that was my first bad one where I then got in a three-hour ambulance ride from Maine all the way down to Boston to go to the hospital. So my leg was in traction. And the roads in Maine aren't that smooth. Yeah. They're really bumpy. Oh so each bump, I just feel it move. I just feel it move my leg where I then feel my sharp arm and my bone just tear further into my leg. But I eventually made it back to the hospital. I went through surgery. They put a rod in my leg, which is still there now. And that was my first major surgery I had, which was a six-month recovery before I could do PT to, like, really start to gain back any muscle that I lost. Wow. And that's... <laughs> yeah. 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 First, first reaction. And that was, <laughs> no. I was like, shit, man, I thought I had some stuff. Yeah. You, like, <laughs> like, you <laughs> tore your leg off. Yeah. That's, like, nightmare scenario. You're yeah. going down the mountain, you just, like, smash into a pole, snap it. Yeah. yeah. It's like, thank God I'm alive, but damn, this sucks. Yeah, and that's even the first picture I have on my phone is my leg in traction. Anyway, I can show it to you guys. <laughs> yeah, dude, pull Where? out the picture. Where? I'm just super nonchalant, like trying to be cool, uh-huh. just lying in the bed while my leg is just being stretched by this black brace. <laughs> and <laughs> oh I'm goodness. sitting there trying to be all cool. <laughs> just wow. as cool as I can be with my right <laughs> leg just completely in traction. Thought this didn't affect me at all. For those of you that are listening, in this picture, Devin looks like Robocop on his leg or a cyborg. A trauma unit. He's a CSI victim yeah. or something. Um, holy shit, dude. <laughs> yeah. Wait, how, how early or how long were you deep into your lifting journey when this happened? So I, I, I did sports like even before that growing up, but I never really did like the only type of persistent training was if I had like practice for like a soccer team. That that was the main type of training I did. I didn't necessarily go to the gym before that. And then like around four months after I snapped my leg, I started going to my local gym called the NAC Nora Athletic Club. And I still go there now where I worked out with a trainer, kept going. It was originally just for PT, but I started getting hooked into doing it where I just persisted and I kept going and then I kept doing that for two years before like I had another accident which then postponed like basically everything I gained mm-hmm. and then just said alright now you're on reset you oh, wait wait again. hold on pause 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 <laughs> you had another accident I did so, okay, so tell us about that so this one's a bit weird but it has to relate to my first accident where I snapped my leg um, cause right now my right leg's shorter than my left leg and it had to do from that accident where the doctor wasn't sure how it happened, but they think when I hit my leg against that snowmaking pipe, my leg hyperextended so hard that the part of my tibia fused to my growth plate, so it stopped growing. Oh. So that when my so, but my leg was still growing, but part of my leg wasn't. So oh. a kind of representation of what was happening is if you take a stick, you put it against a tree and you push. Mm-hmm. It's still trying to grow, but the only way 
it does that is it starts to bend oh. and that's what you can see what it kind of started to do with my right leg was it started to bend backwards huh. this way okay. as opposed yeah, to my yeah, left yeah. leg which is straight my right leg is kind of visible bent yeah. back that's why yeah. there's a dip in my knee so the doctor said that i need to get this re-lengthened and then let the bone grow in between the space so that i don't have like much of like a like a difference in leg leg lengths because right now there's about like a quarter of an inch difference which is like fine to live with like yeah, i'm yeah. fine living with that but they say if you get a quarter, half an inch and higher that's sure, when it becomes yeah. a problem and it creates more issues so they had to fix it so the doctor said the solution is to get a tailored spatial frame put on your leg to re-lengthen your leg <laughs> and that? i was at first being like only yeah, I was only 14 years old and about to turn 15. And I asked the doctor, well, what is that? And they said, it's a frame that they put on your leg. I'm like, at first, I thought it was one of those black braces you put it, put on if you tear an ACL. I'm like, oh, cool, I've always wanted one of those. <laughs> and they're like, no, it's not that. And she then said that it's a, it's a frame where after surgery, we're going to put you out. We're going to basically cut your bone in half. And then we're going to put a frame with pins going into your leg, into yes. your bone. And then you're going to like basically stretch the frame apart to re-lengthen your leg. Holy and shit. they showed me an image of it, and I was so petrified. And I was like, how long do I have to have this on my leg? And they're like, five months. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> so I just sat there for like months just thinking about, okay, the date's June 29th. That's when it's going to go on. But then three weeks before I was supposed to get that surgery, I broke my wrist in a soccer game and got wrist surgery to fix it. Okay. So, so. Wait, so, okay, so you were, you were able to run. Yeah. Okay. I, I was able to run up to that point and continue doing sports, but I noticed that, like, I was starting to catch a limp and I wasn't mm -hmm. able to run as fast, and that's because my right leg was shorter. So mm -hmm. they... That was something that needed to get addressed, and that was after two years since my first break, two years after when I snapped it, where I really started to see a difference. Okay. So they then set a set an appointment for surgery on that June 29th, but then in a soccer game three weeks before, I broke my wrist jumping over a goalie and then landing all my weight on my hand, which then just snapped my wrist. So I then had to go in and get surgery that day to fix my wrist. So for that whole summer, the first half, I had a cast above my elbow for the entire first half of the summer. I then took it off, had one week of just normal summer where I didn't have any cast on, no frame, no nothing. And then the next week after that, I got my surgery to put my frame on my leg. Oh my so God. You had it? Oh shit. So I still had to get it. They just postponed it until my wrist was healed just enough to start this process. So you can't overload the body with too many surgeries. No, you can't because it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, because it's dangerous. Because yeah. then it's it's too the body can like it might be too much for it to handle, and yeah. then the amount of drugs they have to pump me up with might just be dangerous. So, so when the frame went on, it was so disgusting to look at seeing these rods going into my leg, and they're like, okay, all right, uh, Taylor spatial frame one on one. Um, First off, the surgery went well. Two Harvard students watched it happen. 
for their project <laughs> because this because just so you know this is a rare case this doesn't happen often <laughs> i'm a science project so yeah so two harvard students watched the surgery happen and then they said all right so in terms of this whole process you're going through you just cannot do like too many sudden movements um your adjustment phase will be all in august and but you need to clean around where the rod's going into my leg twice a day because it could get infected and if i don't press and if i don't clean it my skin will gradually climb up the rod which would happen a little bit each day so i need to push it back down so i need to push back down so it doesn't grow up (laughs) i know it's it's a bit weird and i actually have a picture of the frame of my leg you guys want to see where i always ask people before i show them this if you're squeamish because it's a little it's a little gross so that was exciting so that what was on so these pins oh are actually gosh. going through and this tiny silver one is the stationary which goes all the way through so God. so i had all these pins oh, well, in just yo, everywhere early. okay now if the first if the first image was robocop yeah. This is like you going through, I, I don't know, like, some sort of transformation. You're like, becoming the Terminator. Yeah, yeah. I, this is me. And I, I always, I always, whenever I see it, I always think this is a scene from Wolverine when he's getting that Adam yeah, 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 put yeah. into him where you just have the rods going. I'm like, this is what's happened in my life. Yeah. It's a great movie. Yeah. yeah fantastic. Wolverine. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> and um, oh, yeah. so I then, I then had to go through an adjustment phase, which was horrible. Where I'll bring up the picture of the frame again, where with these different um, connectors between the round black circles of the frame, you twist it and there's measurements along, Mm -hmm. which then separate the black parts of the frame, which then moves and separates my bone. Since they they opened up my leg right there and cut my bone in half, so it was able to separate. Um, But... They, they printed out my schedule, they handed it to me, and this was during, I was watching the Summer Olympics, Rio 2016. So I was just watching all that while I was just lying there on a couch in yeah. absolute agony, just <laughs> going through an adjustment phase. And the doctor, on the fifth day of my adjustment phase, made an error. So usually you're supposed to move by like one millimeter a day, mm-hmm. like small. Then all of a sudden, my schedule, it jumped to move it 10 millimeters Ten? in a day. So we did. Because we, we, didn't, we didn't question the <laughs> surgeon at Children's Hospital. Like, this is someone who went to Harvard. I didn't question yeah, their yeah. judgment. So my dad was just cranking it. And it's almost as if you're breaking your bone in slow motion because oh, it's slowly yeah. separating it. I was just, I was holding back so many tears. And I'm like, I was like, are you sure you're okay? I'm like, just get it over with it. He just kept going. And we went in for the doctor checkup. We showed her like our schedule, like, oh, this is wrong. I'm like, what? I'm like, you're supposed to move it by one a day. I'm like, I moved it by 10. And, oh my God. And she was like, well, Here's the good news. Um, you only have to do this uh, five more days as opposed to an extra three weeks. So I basically did a full month of a, an adjustment phase in like a week and a half. My <laughs> God. Oh, that, that's, cr- that's so crazy. But the fact that it actually worked yeah. is the craziest thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah. man, the human body whack, but it's pretty crazy. No, it's, yeah. it, it, it's, it's adapted. It, it was weird how like much, but... Then again, being at that age, yeah, 15, yeah, yeah. you're able to recover yeah, yeah. so much faster. Yeah. So, like, 
that's why like my my bone regrowth was mm-hmm. just on steroids compared to like probably what it is now sure. and um so i then had to live with this for like another four months I had to lie on my back, keep my leg elevated. I couldn't go on my side, no nothing. It was terrible. Yeah. But eventually, I got to take showers where... Oh, my gosh. Where I couldn't take showers for about a month in, but after I started to take showers, I didn't have to use, like, the, the swabs and around, mm-hmm. the, around the wounds. I could just go in and take a shower twice a day, and that count for it. So eventually, I was able to walk on it. So I'd walk around with a frame on mm-hmm. And I turned so many heads with this thing on my leg because you never see it. And I remember I went to a, a, the Museum of Science in Boston just to do something because I was so bored. And so many little kids were staring at me. <laughs> Two even touched it because they thought, they thought I was some type of like... <laughs> like exhibit at the museum one kid I remember I sat there he legit was three feet away I sat there for five minutes he just sat there staring right at it he didn't ask anything and then the mom came up was like oh what you do I'm like oh I just had some surgeries and like all that yeah. and then the little kid's like are you a robot I'm like no. <laughs> <laughs> no 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 I'm not but yeah so I then had I then had that whole experience for like five months and then I had to get surgery again to take it off so that was my fourth surgery but then the next year I had to get surgery again on my left wrist because the the after I broke it the same thing that happened to my right knee when it fused wow. happened to my left wrist okay so my left arm is shorter than my right arm yeah. So it happened the same thing. So my right leg shorter than my. So when left you say leg. the same thing happened, the bone fused bone, the growth the plate. The bone fused my growth plate and stopped growing, oh, while my right one kept growing at a normal rate. So, I so when I went in again to the doctor, they legit said you are the first case ever where this has happened to someone twice on wow. two separate things, and because after a year of getting the surgery, they said that. It'll hurt to bend your wrist back for a little bit because it just feels like something's stabbing into the top of your hand. But um, they said, like, but eventually it'll get better. After a year, it never got better. So I went in. Then they found out that 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 it was the growth rate problem. So I then had to get surgery again where I still have a plate and about seven screws in my wrist that basically just kind of lengthened it they had to break it and basically kept it in place but my right arm is longer than my left arm so surprisingly whenever I tell people this story how I had five surgeries in three years they thought is it like some born thing like nope no it's all sports it's all sports and just bad luck and and during that whole process when I was like working out for PT I'd gain back muscle but then after each surgery I'd lose it because you go through like very intense process where you don't eat much you lose a ton of muscle mass and that happened to me I had to go through that five times before eventually it just stopped and then I just persisted at it afterwards I still have issues sometimes doing some exercises because my right leg is shorter my left arm's shorter so it's not like I have like like, my right arm's a lot stronger than my left arm because it's longer, so probably it has to do more work than my left arm. And same with my left leg. My left leg is longer, so it does more work. So I have those, like, strength 
inadequacies, but I'm still able to go to the gym and like get a general like like training and to like train both both ends equally. So I've been persistent at it ever since, and I'm in probably the best shape I've ever been in, and I've just been happy about it that I got a unique experience through all those <laughs> all those surgeries. Definitely a unique experience. I mean, <clears throat> what did you learn about your body throughout this whole process? Because like, you know, injury, healing, re-injury, hurting a different thing. Yeah. And I'm sure because through every injury I've had, it's always been such an insane learning experience about how my body functions. So I'm curious, did you have any of that same kind of learning? Yeah, so I, I was just so amazed when the doctor told me like how quick my recovery was going to be because when they when I snapped my femur they said that's the hardest bone you can break and it's probably the most painful one you can break and they say usually when you're an adult it takes like a whole year of like PT and like recovery to fully get back from that and when they told me it was about six months I was I was honestly shocked I really was and then when I had all these other injuries happen like they were pretty quick like the recovery time was a lot faster and if I went through that same time series of events say when I was 30 the probably total amount of recovery that would have taken me for all those different things probably would have added up to like maybe four years Wow! and for that three years for the wrist the leg and all that that probably only took me about two years so it was legit just half the time period so I was able to fully recover from that and just recoup from that a lot quicker which i just took full advantage of i guess since i didn't know it yet but i was just lining myself up to get hurt time and time after <laughs> again so i kind of i can guess i say i kind of lucked out when it came to how old i was when all this happened yeah mm. holy shit so your arms and your legs aren't the same length right no so when you're in the gym what exercises, like, I assume it's mostly single I, arm, single leg I, stuff? I, I usually, I like doing, um, like, whenever I do bench press, I usually stick to dumbbells since yeah. it's more isolation. Uh-huh. Same with, like, Bulgarian split squats, all that. Yeah. I still do, like, barbell, uh, bench press, and squat because that also works, like, the other, like, sure. contributing muscles that go with it. But I, I learned not to, a couple months ago, that I can't, there's some exercises I can't yeah. do. Like front squats, I can't do that because mm. my wrist, because it's just, it can't bend back as far. And yeah. if there's that much pressure, it's just painful to do it. So like there's some exercise I can't do. And another I learned recently was I can't do heel elevated squats. Right. As, as Nick will know. Yeah. Because since my, since my knee is, I, I have a lot more direct power when pushing through my left leg because my knee is sure. like yeah, yeah, yeah. and straight but this one's bent backwards so it's not as direct so when I use my heel elevated squats my knee goes so far over my foot that when it pushes through it's almost so much pressure just on my knee huh. that when then after when I did it it felt like a tendon moved and then the next day there was a big bruise patch there from a blood vessel that popped from being worked too hard so that's crazy. So, so there's these different types of exercises I can't do as a result of all the different types of accidents, but there's still a lot of the exercises that I still can do, which if I just persist at it and just with a diet, I can still get in good shape. Yeah, so. yeah. 
it was really wacky when that happened. I remember Devin came up to me in the gym. He's like, "What's going on?" You know, like I'm, I'm like the de facto gym doctor. Or whatever. Yeah. I'm fucking, I'm like pressing in his knee, and there's this tendon that's wiggling around. Like I can feel this thing wiggling in there, and. We had no idea what was happening. I'm assuming you're totally fine now. I'm fine now, but it was just so odd when it happened because it happened after I sat down. Right. When I sat down, I felt it move, and I was so confused. I was like, wait, what's what's going on? When I started walking, it felt weird. And then you told me to do a bunch of hamstring curls with a resistance band to try to like make it feel better. And eventually it did, but... Yeah, I'll I'll never do um, heel raise squats probably ever again since that's just it's just not helpful. <laughs> is there anything else that you've like done in the gym that is just you tried it and absolute no goes isn't gonna work for me? Yeah, um, a couple others is is like pike push ups, like that's one yeah. where it's just like it's a good shoulder exercise but since i'm down at such an angle it's just so much direct stuff yeah direct pressure on the wrist so that's why like if i do a handstand i probably can't do one unless my unless my angle is like more out as a v my hands were facing outwards Mm -hmm. but if it was direct my hands facing forward that probably put too much stress on my left wrist i haven't tried it but i i know from doing pike push-ups that does apply that pressure so i just don't attempt it and even when I do barbell squats, I still sometimes feel it. But that's why I use wrist straps, which then gives me that extra assistance where I'm able to do it. So there's some things where I have to use wrist straps in order to do it. But, um, but besides that, those are about like the only like limitations I have when it comes to those certain exercises. It's just being careful with my wrist and making sure that I don't like overextend like my knee over my foot when doing like a, a push exercise with my um doing a leg workout do you feel like you lost a part of your childhood by spending so much time recovering um i wouldn't say i lost much of my childhood it, it certainly was an interesting experience i'd say what i lost is any potential at any sport in the future mm. because it, because when you're at that age that's the age where like if you want to be like a pro at something, you already need to be going at full throttle. But if you get a bad accident, which then causes more like like altercations in the future, which just don't don't help you at all, it basically just prevents you from like reaching your full potential. Like like I'll probably never get my right leg as strong as my left leg ever again. Same with my left arm to my right arm. I'm fine with that. But because of having those accidents, it just it basically cemented saying that if I wanted to be a skier in the future, yeah, that's yeah, not going to pass since I'm already way behind the ballpark now. Because the people while I'm sitting there in recovery, other people are still getting stronger and still practicing. So I wouldn't say my childhood. I, I lost much of my childhood. I'd say just losing any potential at like like going pro or like further developing my skills in a sport that that's probably the biggest hindrance in having a bad accident like that at that age so if you had the opportunity to go back in time and change it and never have any of those injuries possibly pursue whatever career and sports you might have been able to pursue would you do it or are you content with the way things have turned i out? am i am content the way things turned out like for one, if I get 
if I get rid of all those accidents, I'd have to write a new college essay. <laughs> because I just, I thought, hmm, college essay, five surgery, three years. Perfect. I'm unique. Yeah. So, but, but other than that, um, I, I'd say I'm fine like where I am right now. Because if anything, um, I, it, it really taught me because um, when I was going through those, those recovery sessions and like having the frame of my leg and all that, I get tons of visitors and um, they, they, they're always surprised and how like, like lighthearted and like how in, I was in such good spirits even while I was going through it. And they're like, why aren't you pissed? Like, like this sucks, like what you're going through. Nobody wants to go through this, but I, I just, I just learned to like, just try to really take the good, good with the bad. Like I was like mainly happy even when I was recovering, I was always in a good, good mood and it really helped me push through it because if I was sulking that whole time during recovery, I would have literally just been like, what, why the hell am I even like living right now? Cause like this sucks for me. I'm going through this. I, I can't do this anymore. Like if I kept complaining, I just, I just would not have like progressed any, any further. And that, that type of like thinking and attitude doesn't happen just for like when recovering from an injury. That also happens in other areas in your life down the road, like having a stressful job, like you don't get an interview, like if you're sulking afterwards of like not getting something or something does go your way, you're not going to progress any further. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like took those lessons early on at that age, just with a surgery and it really helped me like apply it to like other stuff in the future just to like really move on and to not get too attached on like one bad thing because mm-hmm. then that prevents you from actually growing so. yeah so are you would you say you're like naturally an intrinsically positive person or those experiences taught you to be positive or you had mm-hmm. someone who taught you that being positive in this situation yeah well is to your benefit yeah so i, I was always like a nice person positive person like beforehand but i'd say um when i went through the whole surgery thing it kind of just like amplified it because i I was just going through something so like unique and experience that i can't i can't ask my parents like hey like what do i do here but they're like i I don't know i didn't go through this when i was your age so (laughs) so (laughs) so, um but um but when when going through it, it it's just it, it was just I, I had like two ways I can do about it like no matter how I feel like it's not going to recover any faster I can't like read lengthen my leg this is something I can't change it's something I'm going to have to live with um, I, I, I just could either like be a, a little a whiny prick who just thought like why is this happening to me my life stinks or just accept it and just kind of move on from it and just learn from it and I certainly did and I apply what I learned to like other aspects of my life when if I didn't get an interview or if like or if I didn't get into a certain college that I didn't get into at the time when I was applying which I certainly didn't get into some colleges that didn't apply but I didn't let that crush me so so what basically like what I took away from that really was just being more positive afterwards through like those tough times because it can always get worse, but eventually it'll eventually get better. And if you just focus on the bad stuff, you're, you're just going to basically not get any further. So that's just basically what I took away from that whole experience. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, Anthony, I think you could provide some unique perspective. Because so you used to train in a gym that would rehab a lot of athletes. 
and yes. I know there was people a lot who, of throwers, yeah. a lot of throwers, a lot of shoulder injuries. When you were training in that gym, did you ever have that experience where there were athletes who maybe didn't have that same positive mindset <laughs> as Anthony and took a different approach? Yeah, you get some drama. Well, okay, so yes, um, we've <laughs> seen both sides of it, right? We had one guy, JJ, just a monster in the gym. He'd come in, so explosive. He was a senior in high school throwing like 99. I think off the mound, he was like 94, 95. A week or two after I left to return to school, he tore his UCL something, right? He, he tears it. And he was committed to head to some, some college, and he blows it out. And it was like so devastating, because he's like the hardest worker, and I just love him, and he blows it out. And so then he ends up not heading to college that year, right? He ends up working at the gym now, and he's just rehabbing. And he's so positive about it, right? And he's grinding, he's doing, he is doing everything right. He's, I think he started his return to throw program. He started throwing like two weeks ago. So that's from like August, oh wait, hold on. That's sorry. It's a pretty quick recovery. Just cause he was so positive, he did, he did all the work, right? And now he's back, he's working, he's throwing. Then you get the other guys, and the reason why some of these injuries are so common is because <laughs> in baseball, especially in high school, they play year-round, right? Okay. Mm. So their body never gets a chance to rest. And especially if you're throwing, right? Um, it's so explosive. It's so much fucking pressure right on the elbow and the shoulder, right? Because you have this rock, which is five ounces, mm. and you're trying to accelerate it over the course of half a second or so to 90 miles an hour. Uh, so you think of the math there, right? It's so much fucking force, and it has to travel all the way from your hand, through your arm, through your shoulder, all the way into your here, all the way through your leg and your foot, right? It's all rotational. So it's a lot of force. And if you're playing your games, you're throwing 30 to 80 pitches a game, right? Um, and you do that two to three times a week if you're really playing a lot. Um, so you get these guys that just, they won't rest. And then they're surprised and they're disappointed when something happens, whether it's in, in the elbow, UCL, shoulder, is it the labrum? The labrum is the, I think that is the, the tendon that's circular around the ball and socket joint. Which yeah, yeah, yeah. Puts everything together. Yeah, so the, so the tear of that, right? And you'll get these guys that are really fucking good. And they know they're good. And because of that, they're sort of, sort of drama queens. They're a, mm. a little bit pampered, right? And then they come in, and they tear it, and they're just fucking upset. And fair enough, right? Because uh, they're good. And then they're out. And But even those guys, given the proper, the proper, the proper coaching and everything, eventually, you, you know, they're probably upset for like a month. And then they're like, well, shit. I am either upset or I fucking get to it and I figure it out, right? Yeah, so I think as an athlete, you're emotional, right? That's just how it is as an athlete. <laughs> you're playing sports and stuff. But eventually, they all come around to the thing of, hey, I'm hurt, and if I want to... You know, this whole thing, especially if it's your if it's your UCL, right, you can either have surgery or you cannot have surgery. Um, and if you choose to have surgery, 
it could be a quicker quicker recovery. Some people choose not to because it can kind of screw up some things in your in in the elbow and stuff. But um, you know, that's a six month recovery, and to return to where they were at is going to take a hell of a lot of work every single day, right? You're in the gym, doing all your movements, your isometrics, you're stretching, you're doing your impulse things because you need to get all that force back. And then maybe six months in, you start actually throwing again, but you're throwing like 30 miles an hour. And so you're just very slowly building up your tolerance. And so those are the injuries that I saw. Which compared to yours, they're like, you're breaking shit, yeah. you're fucking tearing yourself <laughs> apart, you're stretching yourself out, which is insane to me. Yeah. Uh, these ones are more, I was playing my sport, and I got hurt. I was running, and I strained my hamstring. I was jumping, and I tore my Achilles, right? Those are the injuries that I'm used to more, um, and those are the ones that, that I know how to train more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the things when you start to break bones and stuff. I think the the sorry, the philosophy is the same where when the injury happens, you need to stop everything for a bit, right? Yeah. You'll let it sit, let the body figure out what the hell is going on. But some of the problems that we saw with how the injuries were handled uh, normally was they would let them sit for too long, right? Mm-hmm. They would go to physical therapy and we would see the plans they got. And it was like fucking babies. It was like they were treating them like they were infants. And the or okay, well and that's how most of of that whole system is because they can't really push them, right? Mm. Because it's a liability. Because if you have an athlete who's not smart and you give them a plan that's a little bit out there, they'll take it and run with it, but go too far with it, right? Yeah. Because, <laughs> as you've seen a kill, I like to get after it and go a little bit too much, right? I, I concur. I'm the same way. Yeah, right? Yeah. So if you say, hey, I want you to, well, let's say I hurt my hamstring. And it was like, okay, I want you to do three sets of RDLs. I don't want you to have any weight on there. And then the next week some weight so I might go well I tried it the first week I felt fine with no weight second week I had 5 pounds in my hand maybe I'll go 20 pounds the next week maybe I'll go 30 pounds and I'll get and so it's like some people are like that and it's a 600% increase yeah. and especially <laughs> and especially when it's <laughs> when you're throwing right because throwing isn't about well I'm throwing something that's you know, however heavy, it's I'm throwing it half as hard as I think I can. Now I'm throwing it 60% as hard as I think I can. And I'm throwing it 12 times. And so those programs, it's all about how hard, how hard do I, like, how hard am I throwing? Is it super hard? It's all sort of inside, right? And so when it comes to them and you're trying to train them when they're injured, um, you, you can't give them programs that are like that. They have to be kind of low level and slowly, slowly ramp them up over a long period of time because that's safe. It's proven it's safe. Is it the quickest route that will help them to achieve what they want? Not always. But not a lot of, not a lot of the athletes have that thing sort of inside them that's like, okay, 
I threw this. I threw this. That's enough. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna rest, and I'll come back, and I'll do it again. Yeah. They're like, okay, I'm feeling good. I'm gonna go for some more, and that can happen a few times, and you'll be fine. But inevitably, some athlete will do that, and they'll re-injure themselves, and so then they're right back in the loop, right? And so, I'm sure as we've all had, right? When you get injuries, you get in that loop of I'm feeling good. I'm really feeling good today. I'm gonna push it. I push it too much. Shit, I'm hurt again. Right back in the loop, right? And so, um, at least at the gym, what our job was, was to coach them and say, hey, that's enough, stop right there, <laughs> so that they wouldn't go through that loop. And that was, pretty, that, was, that was partially what they hired us for, was to just be like, hey, that's enough, you're doing great, come back in, and we'll do it all again. But that kind of thing has to be for every single athlete right it can't be as a whole right every single one has his own thing right their um, own injury their his own, own injury program. his own program so that was the thing that i saw a lot was the system that we currently have is not for the individual athlete really it's for you show up you have this injury they hand you a plan and then you walk it's out. cookie cutter. And then you come back in three weeks, maybe later, and they go, okay, you're looking good. Here's your next program, right? I can see why when you're hurt, if that's how you're treated, that you would get depressed. Right. <laughs> I can see yeah. why. Yeah. If you come in, you do your, you do your program. No, I hurt my knee, so I do my little, my little step-ups. And you're like, okay, these are feeling all right. So I do this for like three weeks. And... Then they're like, okay, now you can do half squats or something. Why that would really start to grade on you. Yeah. And so for your stuff, I'm sure it was yeah. something like that, right? Where it's just like slow and monotonous a little bit. Right? Yeah, no. So it, it was really slow where like after I broke my leg for the first time, mm -hmm. it was my first time going through PT where I was surprised at how weak I actually was mm -hmm. after it happened. Because granted, my, my leg still, my bone still fully didn't like regrow and like re-strengthen after I snapped it. But during that whole process of just going through PT, it's just shocking for a first timer like how weak you actually get. Because mm -hmm. like they said, all right, you're just going to do five minutes on the elliptical. I'm like, that's it? And then <laughs> that's light work. Yeah, dude. no, but then after four minutes, like, wow, this is starting to hurt. Because uh -huh. it's, I'm like... Wait, I'm this week? Yeah. It's just such a like a mind opening experience when you go through and and how after one little thing, how far back you can be how far set back you can be put. Mm -hmm. Which for an athlete is a scary thing because uh -huh. you don't want to fall behind someone else. So again, going back to what you said, like where someone to push it, someone to get back into yeah. it, but you're also afraid because you know it's, if you push too far, mm -hmm. you're setting your back further and yeah. you're falling more behind. So it's just sad. It's it's just being able to find the the balance between being anxious and like hard working enough to like want to recover, but also not fast enough to where it just hurts you in the long yeah, run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this philosophy applies to more than just recovering from injuries. I was training with two young fellows who want to walk onto the football team this morning, and. They were asking me a bunch of questions about, you know, how do we get better at sprinting? We want to run this time. We want to do this. Uh, and I was telling them, like, guys, you know, sprinting two times a week and going balls to the wall is great. 
you're gonna make progress, you're gonna get faster. That's a given. But sometimes, you know, going a little, doing a little bit less and maybe going four times a week is gonna yield you some benefit rather than absolutely killing yourself where you have to recover so much until the next training session where you have to wait three days. Yeah. Like, hey, maybe let's go let's go 70% of what you're doing right now, rest a day and be back in the day after tomorrow. You know, so you can actually train more and more and give yourself more stimulus to get better. Mm. I think it's the same thing with the with the injuries, you know, you know, don't you're not gonna don't go so hard. Yeah. You know, get go go fifty percent, go sixty percent, come back tomorrow and do it again, you know. Train yourself safely in a way. And you know, I relate to what both of you guys said and I've uh you know, I had my own ski crash. Yeah, it wasn't as nearly as gnarly as you. Uh, but I, you know, I ended up suffering nerve damage in my knee and my shoulder and had my own problems and definitely rushed the recovery. What should have been 12 weeks, I was back in a ski, skis in six weeks. So I cut my recovery in half and I remember getting out there and like I see my supervisor, I'm like, hey, Laurel, I'm skiing. And she's like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, the responsible um, uh-huh. older woman. But the, literally, like the week I was back skiing, the first day I was skiing with my boys, we I jumped a five-foot cliff. You know, it was like probably, you know, the dumbest thing I could have done. But like Anthony said, I mean, the, like Anthony's job was there was no one saying like, hey, you know, you're being an idiot. And it was that that monkey brain, that testosterone, like I'm in pursuit of, mm-hmm. I'm trying to be better, I'm trying to reach my goals of becoming the best skier on the mountain or whatever it was, and you know, just was pushing it way too hard. Yeah. And it let myself to, for me, over a year and one month later, I'm still experiencing you know, problems in my ankle and my shoulder and you know, I have, I still can't feel part of my knee over a year later because I didn't pay attention to it back then. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think that's something where you maybe did pretty good. And for anyone else who is listening and is dealing with injuries that listen to Devin's story, because that was, you know, he a stayed really positive and B just did the right stuff to get to this point where now it's, you're nine years into your journey and yeah. now dude now you're, you're like awesome you yeah. know like <laughs> i think you're so cool because you've built this physique and people admire you in the gym and you work really hard and you have a good work ethic and i think that's really cool so like that's mm-hmm. like that's really cool that um you know you you've been able to build yourself up to this point yeah yeah i'd certainly say the proudest thing is the influence i've had in my little brother because okay. like he he also is now becoming a gym rat and but the annoying thing about him is he he's born with the special genetics of just being born with a six pack <laughs> where he just rubs it in your face and just lets you know hey, you don't have one I'm like well I do it's just it's just under a tiny layer of fat I'm like you have fat <laughs> I don't <laughs> and and he eats terrible by the way he, he he would eat cake and like all this other stuff and just be a like have a natural six-pack but I, I'd certainly say after when I really started putting on mass it also encouraged him to go to the gym mm-hmm. and so I, I take that's probably the most like 
proud thing I, I, I have in terms of influence of some other people is a definitely an influence over my little brother because he's now 170. He's around, I think, 5'11", near 6 feet. And two years ago, he weighed about, like, 145. Wow. So, so he, he, I'd work out with him whenever I was back for the summer from school. And he always tells me, um, it's like, hey, it's not because of you. I did because I wanted to. But the way I know is that every time I, I get on a phone call with him, the first thing he tells me is his progress at the gym. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, oh, really? Like, <laughs> like, yeah, it's definitely not... Not me or anything, but but that that is like also one of my favorite activities is when I'm home is going to the gym with my little brother because mm-hmm. yeah. he's gotten really strong. He's now able to do a one rep deadlift of like three sixty. Heck yeah! And he's on, and he's only seventeen, which is still really good. He still has issues with his 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 legs and his squat, but he's working on it. But uh, he he's gotten a lot stronger, and I'm always like seeing his progress. But whenever he takes those shirtless pictures, I can only help but get flustered that his diet's <laughs> shit. Yet he looks so fucking great. It's so annoying. Yeah, and there's two like interesting things I took out of that. A is like, yeah, it's really awesome to be able to pass on the knowledge we've accumulated, the habits we've developed to those who are younger or those who are earlier in their journey and inspire others to develop themselves. I, it's, it's really motivating for yourself to keep going when this, when you have people looking up to you as, okay, you, I am this person's role model and they are, you know, basing their gym journey off of me and you know, I, so I have to keep working just as hard because we have to set a good example for those underneath us, mm. uh, which is awesome. And I, I relate to that. I have, a, I have a little cousin who's, he's like my little brother and mm. you know, his parents, they don't work out, they don't ski, they don't do anything. And he lives in Reno and he told me over this spring break, he's like, Hey, you know, I'm rejoining the ski team because you of go. you. Like I, I, uh, he, so he was training to become a competitive golf player and that was you know partially because his parents were like hey you need to be good at golf and then he kind of <laughs> adopted that as his thing like I'm going to be the best golf player ever and then over winter break and over spring break he's like hey you know because of you I've, I've developed this love for the outdoors and I'm so incredibly grateful to have grown up in this Reno Tahoe area and I, I'm in this incredible place and I would have never taken it, taken advantage of it because of you. It's the same thing with the gym, you know. I, I see his shoulders getting broader, and mm. he tells me he's like, "Whoa!" I took my shirt off in front of my friends, and they said, "Wow!" Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, it's really really cool to see you know the youngsters pick up on it and uh, get motivated. Yeah, no, it's and it's always cool when you see their progress. Yeah. Because, because it's when you when you start working out, it's always hard to see your own progress. For sure. Because when you grow over time, you don't yeah. really remember what you looked like when you started, but you're able to see that a lot more when you see someone else do it. So when you see them like put on size, it's just it's always really cool to see. Like when I came home, um, when my little brother was really starting to get into it, um, like a year and a half ago, and he got so much larger, I was like. 
Look at the shoulders on this kid. <laughs> I was so shocked. And he, he was larger than, he was like near the same height as my dad all of a sudden. He's now putting on weight. And I'm like, shoot, he's a lot further than I was at that age. And But it, it's always really cool when you see someone else go through the process of their gym, their gym progress and like trying to become healthier, trying to get stronger, maybe try to like look more aesthetic or just get more athletically fit. You're able to see that a lot easier, and it's always really cool when you do get to see that, especially with someone you're friends with or, or if it's with family as well. Yeah. I mean, you say I didn't have that progress when I, I was his age, but you didn't have you. No. You know, he, <laughs> he is like standing on your shoulders, mm. and because he has you, – you're like his greatest resource. Right? Yeah, you know, I there's, do tips. <laughs> yeah, there's everyone on the internet that you can look up to, but – they're not your flesh and blood. They're not your genetics. They're not, you know, someone who's super close to you and you are that person. Yeah. And so, yeah. So like you're, you're literal, like you share the same DNA with this guy and he's able to see you like, damn, you know, my brother who I think I'm way better than cause I have abs. Like he, he's yeah. made this insane progress. <laughs> so I can too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it, it always is. I think if you work out, working out with a relative is like the, best is like one of the best gym partners because if you see them making progress you can adjust to what they're doing so you're able to make like similar progressions so that's why i think working out with like a brother in my opinion uh, it might be a gym rat like biased I, I think it's like one of the more fun things you can do yeah it definitely is and i think for those who don't have brothers you know you can still still find a brother in the gym you know I, I remember the way I met Anthony, I, he was in the gym and he was doing some cool push-ups. I said, hey dude, those are some really cool push-ups. And now Anthony is one of my closest friends here. And it's crazy, you know, I, it went from me saying, hey dude, you do cool push-ups and now we just talk about an incredible variety of things. And I can see, this is, guy, this is like my brother who's not my genetics, you know? Uh, so it's you can still find that community outside if you can just you know see people that are doing cool shit and say like hey that was cool you know and, and try and relate to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's really powerful. I wanted to talk about one more thing because you did mention the genetics thing yeah. and how your your brother has the the six packed abs he shredded but he eats a shitty diet yeah um what let's start with you anthony what are your thoughts on that like genetics yeah so especially for the audience you know i think it's really important not to get discouraged based off of genetics and where you start and not to compare yourself to others but just whatever your thoughts are on that subject genetics so as far as my genetics i was Pretty much my whole life. I'm now six one. I've been I've been pretty tall for my age and and pretty skinny. So I only started to put on size like probably sophomore year of college mm-hmm. <laughs> was when I finally started to fill out. I came into college like 145, 150, I think, um, probably six foot. How much do you weigh now? About 165. Okay. So not filling out a ton, but um, that's also because I don't. I don't eat a lot. I should eat more. Um, so anyway, as far as genetics, I've never had a problem with any of my weight or anything. I was pretty skinny. 
didn't help that I also ran cross country throughout like all of high school, so that also kept me super lean. Mm. And I wasn't lifting a lot. I was always pretty active, I was playing sports and stuff, but never lifting a lot. And as far as there was, certain, I certainly wasn't tracking any calories or anything. It was kind of whatever was at home, if they made dinner, had the Chick-fil-A, that's pretty much what it was. Did you find yourself like comparing yourself to other people, maybe on your cross country team or maybe better you know, predisposed to running long distances or faster or? Did I do any comparisons or anything? You know, I, I was, I, I did reasonably well in school and the fact that I was attractive enough that it didn't really matter. <laughs> and as long as I got the results, it didn't bother me. So, and also, um, yeah, I just didn't, I didn't feel the need to kind of look at that stuff. And so, um, I definitely saw some, cause there were, I know there was some of the people who are, who were, you know, who were also on the team, they were, <laughs> They were, they were certainly musclier and stuff. And I would see it, and I, at that point in my life, I didn't really think about it that much. So I'm kind of happy about that, sort of. On one hand, I wish I would have maybe started earlier, but also if I had started earlier, I would have been training like a, like a normal kind of bro split thing, and I just would have, for me at that point, I would have hurt myself. And I'm pretty sure I did hurt myself. <laughs> um, yeah, I think my first low back injury from squat might have been high school. Okay. From there, it just it just continued on all the way to now, right? But come to genetics, so my little brother, he's 20. He's a sophomore right now in college. But when he can't, he, so he's 5'9", five 5'8", five but he is <laughs> genetically just as strong as a bull, right? He was, for his weight class at our school, he was setting records Wow. in the weight room. Wow. And he like didn't do anything crazy. He ate like me, maybe a little more, but like he was just naturally strong as hell for his age and his height. Um, and I was at a smaller school, but still that like he was setting records. So you kind of had me and you had him and um, he outperformed me in pretty much every metric. He was probably faster than me at his age, um, certainly stronger jumped just as high as me. From genetic standpoint, he was lean, not quite as lean, but he was still, he had a visible six pack, I think. Um, so pretty lean. So that's sort of my thing where, did genetics help us? Certainly. But also, throughout my whole childhood, our lifestyle was incredibly conducive to all that. We, we ate healthy. There was home-cooked meals almost every night at home. We worked, I think my dad worked out every single day of my childhood. Wow. So that was a, mm. great, a great influence. My, my closest friend, same thing. His dad worked out all the time. So if I was at his house, we were working out. We were eating healthy at like, his house, right? And then I was always playing sports. I was outside, I was doing stuff. Um, I, I Started in karate when I was like seven to that till I was 11. I quit karate, sat on my ass for a year at home playing video games, and I, and now if I look back, I noticed that that's the shift where things started to slide a little bit. Of course, I was like 12, so like, it's not terrible, but I was in karate, I was flexible as hell, 
one year off, I now cannot touch my, I still cannot touch my toes. Hamstring flexibility is terrible. That all to say, and this is a bit, this opinion is a bit contentious, I get it. But genetics do play some part. But your lifestyle as a kid and the household that, that you're raised up in, I think is so important to to your health of your whole life because it sets all those habits um, and yeah it just sets you up for it sets you up for your whole life and it sets what you it sets what you accept as what is normal right if you're at house and your parents sit around on the couch and they watch TV and they're depressed and they complain and they eat like shit and you go to Chick-fil-A every day or fucking McDonald's and they start to put on weight and they complain about it but they don't do anything about it, you view that as normal, mm. right? And your habits throughout your whole life are, okay, when I'm hungry, I head to McDonald's. I don't. And so it's like, it's, I think that kind of thing, more than genetics, really sets you up for a solid, solid path of your whole life. Now, some people have that thing where their childhood wasn't great but then somewhere along the line, they they kind of figure it out, right? Um, so that opinion I get uh, for some people is a bit a bit contentious, and I speak from a position that is privileged, I think, on that. <laughs> um, I recognize that completely. So as far as genetics, yes, I was blessed, but however, I think my household helped me out so much. I do think genetics definitely helped. I think I am one of those people that. At least up to when I was 20, I could eat whatever I want. And, and given the fact that I was pretty active, I would not put on weight. Mm. Mm-hmm. However, I noticed, because I went and I worked an internship for the government back in the fall of 2021. And I, that was my first time in a 9 to 5, right? And I noticed myself actually put on weight. Wow. Like, like I was like... I can't I, imagine you putting yeah. on weight. I was like... <laughs> I was like, I feel like I'm seeing my abs less or something. <laughs> and so then I joined a climbing gym and I got back at it. But I was like, that was weird because I was sitting at a desk for eight hours a day. And then I would maybe head to the gym and then I would head home and I would work on stuff on the computer for another three hours a day. Yeah. And so my metabolism just slowed. When, you, when I changed my lifestyle, things started going backwards. Mm. So... Um, that's my view on it. I think, mm-hmm. yes, your genetics will help you if you're in a not great situation for a pretty long time. But at some point, you're just, you're, you will hit that thing where um, there's only so far your genetics can help you out. All your yeah. habits will, will eventually catch up with you. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's, that was pretty cool. I think there was a lot of good stuff in there. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, yeah no, I, I definitely agree with that. Cause like, uh, like growing up, my, my dad always like worked out. He was always in pretty good shape and he'd always do, um, in train, insane training at something called gut check, which is just, which is <laughs> legit. I know, I know where the coach is a legit, he was like a former military guy. Like, yeah. like, like house kicks to the no, stomach. Just <laughs> insane shape. He can, he could legit start deadlift with 225, lift it all the way up, and throw it over his head and hold it up. And he had, like, maybe a five-minute mile, like, yeah, all yeah, this, yeah. and able to do 30 pull-ups in a row. Just an insane That's athlete. Yeah. 
And my dad would work out there um, like a lot of the time during the week, and the workouts start at 5 a.m. And I remember in middle school, I would join him for some. Yeah, man. Where I would go, I would almost... I, I, think, I think on the second time I went, I passed out. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was just... It was so intense where he had us using rings that Olympian yeah, like yeah. gymnasts use. Yeah. I was like... All right, we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do ring pull-ups into ring dips. Yeah. Now do your best. Do we, your muscle. I, I want to see if you can do ten. I'm like ten. What? What? <laughs> like, like I can't even pull myself up. And they like set you the right motion. You're hanging there, and like yeah. this does I I can't move. Uh-huh. And you, you, you get pushed so hard there that I my face just turned white and I passed yeah. out. And, and, but yeah, so my dad would always work out there. So he was always in pretty good shape and my metabolism growing up was pretty high as well. And, and doing sports, like I usually, I did like a ton of sports growing up. So I was never really like sitting down in one place and yeah. just like, like, like putting on weight. Like the, the only time where I could say I did that was during like my PT time, but I lost weight just from, yeah. <laughs> just from the surgeries. But, um, but in terms of like genetics, it, it certainly can be more helpful for some than others, just the way it is. And, there, and there's nothing you can do about it, only if you just put in the work. Because like, um, like, like one noticeable thing is like when I compare myself to my brother at like, say like when we're both like 12 years old, he had as a six pack, I didn't. And the way I kind of noticed that was like just the way like his fat was distributed across his body yeah. compared to mine. Mine, like, goes more into, like, love handle areas. His is more, like, evenly distributed everywhere. So it looks like he's a lot more in shape. Yeah. Mm. So so when it comes to, like, appearances, genetics can certainly play a part. But being persistent, though, in the activities outside of that is really what will, like, help out. Like, yeah. like one person who I, like, really look up to, I think it's a perfect example of that where... His genetics might not have been the best, but it looks great. Now is David Goggins. Yeah, yeah. He's a perfect yeah. example where he was he was he was heavy. He wasn't in the best of shape. Yeah. You look at him now. He set the world record for most amount of pull-ups in 17 hours. He, he's an ultra marathoner. He said he did eight weekends in a row doing 100 mile mar- miles. So 800 miles in eight weeks, like just insane. He basically became a superhuman, and he didn't even he wasn't even that in good shape when he was yeah. like in his early 20s so it definitely is like some can definitely have like a benefit when they are starting out they might yeah. be on like higher footing but it's really the consistency afterwards and being disciplined where it then you can progress further because yeah. if, you, if you don't if you're not persistent with it eventually genetics i i feel like after you start you stop growing that's kind of, like kind of when I noticed when I really put on size. Mm. Once I stopped yeah. growing in height, I was it was a lot easier to put it on <laughs> width-wise. Yeah. yeah. And that's when I feel like that's the time where when you start to reach that point where you're stopped growing, like height-wise, your genetics can sometimes will probably fail you there because then the weight's a lot easier to put on. Mm-hmm. So if you're eating bad, eventually you'll see it catch up. You're like, oh, shoot. I need to start getting my ass off of this fucking couch <laughs> and I need to start running. So it, it's just those things where for if you have the good genetics and the good metabolism, like growing up, you'll probably be fine eating a crappy diet growing up. 
But if you if you don't have the right habits though to set you up after you stop you stop growing in height and your metabolism slows down, then that will really show if you like will be in good shape afterwards. So it's really those type of both genetics and experiences growing up that really sets you up for the future. I think a good analogy to summarize what both of you said is that genetics are the tools that you're given at birth in your toolbox. But it's up to you whether you utilize those tools or not. They're, they're always going to be there. They're always in the toolbox. And everyone has a different set of tools at birth. Whether I could have – some kids may have a calculator in their toolbox. And some of them have a hammer. And some of them have a screwdriver. And some of them have a fine, fine detail exacto knife or a combination of whatever ones those are. But – you can either use them or you don't, and mm. you can you can take it and run with it, or you know what you can build your own hammer, or build your own uh, calculator, whatever it is. I think, especially for people who are not predisposed to be the most athletic or the most whatever goal you're pursuing, the real factor that determines your success in whatever you're pursuing is time. You know, did you, were you consistently pursuing your goal day after day? Because you can take a case study, person A and person B. Person A has shitty genetics and he wants to be big and strong. And person B has great genetics to be big and strong. Person A works out five days a week he works really hard, he's consistent, he's disciplined, he's smart about his programming. Person B works out three days a week, kind of does whatever, kind of eats whatever. His program's kind of dumbass, but also hitting some of the right stuff. Over the first six months or the year, person B might, be, might have doubled the progress of person A. He's gonna make so many more gains because his genetics are better, but Year two, person A is starting to catch up. And year three, maybe they're 50-50. And then year four, now person A, he's better. He's gotten better because he had all of the other details on point. His mental, his mental details were there. His, his discipline was there. His thoughts behind how I'm programming his workouts were there. And person A was just relying on the toolbox he was given at birth. And now five, 10 years down the line, person A is the absolute stud who's putting in the, who's put in the work and looks like, and person B is, you know, he's made good progress because he had those tools, but he's just not quite there. He's never going to be as good as his potential if you don't have the other, the other things ironed out. And I think like a good example of that is like professional sports, you know, a lot of people will make it to, you know, college football or a lot of people will make it to you know mid-level bodybuilding or a lot of people will make it to juniors level hockey but that difference what separates them from going from the mid-level to going to the nfl or becoming an ifbb pro or going to the nhl or getting into the majors for the mlb is did they yeah did they have the genetics but did they have the hard work did they have the discipline? Did they have the grind? Were they 
practicing as hard as they could, but also practicing smart and recovering smart and just being being as smart as possible, smart as possible, being smart, being fast, being disciplined, having good character, um, you know, just ticking off all of your boxes. I think that's what really drives the success at the end of the day. Uh, and that's kind of like what I what I took away from what both of you guys said. I think a summary of sort of what we said there, right, is when you're a child, right, and you're in your home and you see whatever it is that is happening there, you see that as what is what is normal but more what can I achieve, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're in a house where it it isn't great and you think that is what is sort of normal, then you're like, well, well, I can have that. With everything that I have in my genetics, I can achieve that, right? But if somebody were to show up and go, hey, you could have this, and they showed you it, and you were like, oh, that's possible, and you know it's possible now, right? Then you start to change all your thoughts and your habits and things around what is actually possible, right? I think that applies to a lot of things in life of what do we think we can actually have and achieve, right? What is, what is actually possible? If I'm in school and I hear, okay, you can head to school, head to school, you graduate, and the highest you can ever get is 100,000, right? And I actually think that is all that's possible. Then that is all that I will ever want and try to have. But instead somebody says, hey man, you're pretty smart. I think you could make 500,000 or a million. I think you can. Then you start to change your habits your expectations, what you drive for, right? So I think when it comes to health and genetics and injuries and strength, if you get hurt and you go to the doctor and they say, yeah, this will take one year, that's it. It's going to take one year. Then you have that in your head that this will take one year. If I try anything else earlier or blah, 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 it won't work, I'm going to book. I'm going to hurt myself. Whereas if somebody says, hey, if you try hard and you train, the, <laughs> you train smart, you train, then maybe you could recover in half that. Or you could at least be outside and walking in half that, right? But if you have in your head that, oh, oh, this is hard or, oh, I'm not the person who can have that. I'm not the one who can achieve that, then you have that in your head and your subconscious and your mind is so powerful that that it'll actually have that happen. If you're like, well, I won't walk for a year, you won't walk for a year. That's the fact. Whereas if you say, okay, I'm feeling pretty solid today, maybe I can try. And you do that every single day, you push it a little and you think to yourself, every single day, I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting stronger and healthier, right? And every single day you push it then you'll probably heal, or whatever it is, way faster than you thought. And I think that applies to a lot of things. And so I think that's, I think my sort of summary on that stuff is all the thoughts and the stories you have in your head are what shape what you have in your life, right? It's all stories. Yeah. 
And so I think for genetics, yes, it matters, of course, but your habits and the stories that you have in your head and what you think is actually possible is much more going to shape your life. Yeah, mm -hmm. everyone thinks in, in terms of what is possible, but you don't know what is possible. Go out there and shoot for the stars because you can make things happen. Yeah, well, it's shoot for the stars, but also go out and see what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Read some books. Watch, uh, what's they called? Uh, read some biographies. See what the fuck they did, right? Like, see what is possible. Go on YouTube. Like, see what the fuck is possible because otherwise you hold yourself into what you have around you, right? If your household is, I don't know, lower income or... or or like whatever it is, then that's all you see, right? So you need to look beyond that and see what is possible. And that applies to, I think, all kinds of things, right? Yeah. So anyway. I think that was, that was a really powerful point, Anthony, and probably a good point to end the podcast today. You know, both of you, Devin, Anthony, you guys are busy men. I'm really, truly, truly grateful for you guys taking an hour and 20 minutes out of your day to come talk uh, with me and to share your experiences and share what you have, what knowledge you've accumulated over our short time on this planet. And hopefully, I know you guys delivered some value to me, delivered some value to whoever's listening. Hopefully I delivered some value to you. And yeah, thank you. Um, that was awesome if you guys are listening on Spotify please leave me some feedback in the Q&A section below anything is much appreciated this was the Modern Man Podcast huge shout out to Devin and Anthony for, for joining me today I'm your host Nick Hill Kathuria have a good one <laughs>